Hello Facebookers, hello podcast listeners, welcome to Health Hackers episode 8. I'm Gemma Evans, I'm a television presenter and journalist here in the UK and this is my series devoted to meeting and interviewing the most pioneering and influential figures in health and wellness right now. One of them is sitting next to me. Hi, I'm Toral from the Urban Kitchen. This is Toral Shah. She is a nutritional scientist. She's with us for the next 30 minutes, taking your questions. It's all about optimizing health to prevent disease, to specifically prevent cancer, but we can talk about any immune-boosting questions that you have. If you can think of someone who might benefit from watching this live, tag them in the comment section. This is my laptop. I'm looking at everything you're saying, so I can see your questions and I can put them to Toral as we go. And I should just mention, in case you hear any funny noises in the background, we are at the BeFit Health and Fitness event in London right now. There's loads of really cool health and fitness stuff going on here and some very cool speakers. One of them is Toral. Um, but they've let us use the room downstairs so we can do this interview right now. So if you hear any noises, it's just people having fun at BeFit. Okay, I want to start by having a little chat about your, your backstory. This is quite a powerful backstory, everybody. So you you are a scientist, yes. but you've also got some personal experience with cancer. Yes. Tell us a little bit about, about that. Absolutely. So I have been really passionate about cancer since the age of 11, and I went to medical... 11? Yes, wow. 11. And I As went to medical age. school to be an oncologist and realized once I got there, once my mother had breast cancer and I realized what oncologists do, that this wasn't really the right job for me because it's actually quite emotionally difficult. And to be able to give that kind of level of care to patients who are often quite ill, but able to separate yourself emotionally is quite difficult. So I then worked in research and then went on to do a master's in nutritional medicine specializing in cancer because at that moment in time, there wasn't enough advice or information even or evidence about what foods we can eat to help prevent cancer, help prevent reoccurrence. So that's become one of my life passions. Were people even talking about food back then? No, no one was talking about Focus nutrition. Prevention. Nothing. In fact, there was very little nutrition. At medical school, we had five hours of nutrition lectures. And even doctors now don't have that much more. And it, they have so much to learn about nutrition, but you can't fit it all in. There can't be a specialist in everything. And that's why having working with registered nutritionists and dietitians are really important because we've actually got the background and the science. We understand the physiology of the body. We understand how nutrients work. We understand how it affects our health and well-being. And that makes a difference. So for me personally, going back to the story, yeah. um, we have a family history of breast cancer. We don't have the BRCA1 or 2 genes, but I was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 29. So whilst I'd studied it, been to university, had a master's in nutritional medicine, I then had breast cancer myself. So you, do you think until that point you'd been quite healthy? I was really healthy. I was really in shape. I was doing triathlons. I was really lean. I've never smoked. I do drink, but not that much. I eat lots and lots of fruit and vegetables. So my, from a lifestyle perspective, I should have not had breast cancer at that age. So, that, so how do you work through that mentally? When you're thinking that I'm really, really healthy, but I've got cancer, how, how has this happened? It must at, be huge. Yeah, it was yeah. a difficult time, but I also realized my whole thing was if so many people are going to have breast cancer, and you know, at least one in 11 people in my age group, I'd rather be the one because out of all my friends, I had the most knowledge about cancer, cell biology of cancer, the medical treatment of cancer, and understanding it from being through it with my mum and my aunt. So I had the emotional kind of understanding of what it's like too. So I would never have wanted any of my friends to go through that. And when I was diagnosed, actually told I had cancer, I didn't get really upset. I was like, okay, right, well, we can do this, and we can do this, and we can do this. 
And do you think if you hadn't been so healthy, you would have had a far more aggressive type of cancer? Well, we can't prove that, but one of the things my doctors at Royal Marsden say is that most young women, in fact 99% of young women, have very aggressive breast cancer. Um, it's fast-growing tumours. They're often diagnosed late too. They're often diagnosed at stage 2, 3, or even later, which means it could potentially be terminal. I was diagnosed uh, a mixture of stage 0 and stage 1, which is very, very early. My tumour was huge, but there was something that I was doing that was protecting my cancer from spreading throughout my body. So once my tumour grew, Normally, tumors grow, they build extra blood vessels, and they try and spread through other parts of your body, so you're to your lymph glands and then also to other organs. I don't have any of that. And so my, normally, if you have a tumor of my size, which is 9 centimeters by 16 centimeters, that's unusual not to have it spread throughout your body. So there is something, they think they're like, there was something you were doing, that's right. Um, so we can't prove that. Unless I had an identical twin and you know, they didn't have cancer, we can't prove it, but it's yes, definitely something it's interesting. What about, um, tell us a little bit about, or tell the viewers a little bit about what you do day to day, because you're working with patients who may have had cancer, so you're helping them to change their diet, optimize their health, is that right? To yes. prevent it coming back? Yeah, so I see lots of different patients um, where we help just optimize the health. If they've got any type of cancer risk in their family, so they may not have had, maybe their parents have had, or siblings had, or someone like that, we help to reduce the risk. Um, anyone who's had cancer too, and also other diseases like diabetes, heart disease. Everything I do is that how can we use food to optimize your health? How can we make you feel strong, healthy, happy, have all your systems working correctly, and help to prevent disease? Because a lot of diseases that we now have in the UK, chronic diseases certainly, like diabetes, heart disease, even cancer, they are actually lifestyle diseases. And there are actions that we can take, which are evidence-based for long-term epidemiological studies, which can reduce the risk. They can't say they prevent cancer, they can reduce the risk. What I like about you and your whole ethos is that everything you do and say is science-backed. So everything you're going to hear in this Facebook Live right now is somehow backed with great evidence, otherwise Horrell wouldn't be talking about it. Um, should we get into some of that now? And I should also add that if you're watching this live right now, don't confuse this with medical advice. This is all educational, and we're going to have a chat with Toral and answer some of your questions, so put them in the comment section. I'm looking at the feed right now so I can see what you're saying. Um, so let's get into some of that evidence-based, the kind of key nutrition principles. So if you're working with a client or somebody's just asking you for advice, how can I stop my cancer coming back, where do you start with them? Firstly, you know, make sure that they're still seeing their doctors and actually still getting the medical treatment. because. Food and nutrition can never replace traditional medical treatment. If you have cancer, please, please see your doctor. Please ensure you, you continue with any treatment. If you're not happy with the treatment, please talk about it. But from a perspective of what you can do to reduce your risk, the first thing I'd look at is let's not make it too complicated. Let's look at the basics. Are you getting enough fruit and vegetables in your diet? I work with a lot of patients and clients who are actually very successful, very educated, very healthy generally but are at risk of diseases for certain things. And when I look at having fruit or vegetables eating, they're often only eating three or two. So and then they're not, of a portion. So a portion of fruit and vegetables is 80 grams of, of fruit and vegetable. We need like to handful? have a hand. Well, it depends on what it is. Obviously, a spinach is a lot bigger. Yeah. Berries would be a little bit. Cherry tomatoes would be about 10. Mm. Um, and most, we're advised by the government to have at least five portions of fruit and vegetables. If we look at all the epidemiological studies, that actually all the kind of worldwide studies against um, certainly cancer, it's advising seven to nine portions of fruit and vegetables, very much in line with the Mediterranean and Japanese diets. So those kind of diets tend to be successful? They actually, the Japanese and um, 
Mediterranean diets have been shown, all of those people have less risk of um, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, cancer, but also dementia, and they're much more likely to be mobile because their lifestyle is about not necessarily going to gym, but just being active and mobile and walking around and things like that. So it's about eating enough fruit and veg. Anything else? Is there are there rules on protein and carbs, or do you just tell people to just begin with the fruit and veg? I think begin with the fruit and veg. If you give people too many things to change, it's quite difficult, and it also depends on where they're at already. So some patients may understand a lot more and may be eating a healthier diet already, and may just need a few more tweaks or a few more. Um, increase different nutrients or micronutrients and things like that or maybe even need a supplement for example vitamin D it's really hard for us in the UK to make vitamin D from the sunshine between October to March so particularly anyone who's at any risk of any cancer or anything really to even myself I just take vitamin D supplement um, but that's the starting point then I look at are they eating like oily fish is one of those things that's been shown to be incredibly protective of many diseases whether it's heart disease whether it's um, cancer I've just written a piece for the Telegraph about how eating um, two to three portions of oily fish and some legumes so some lentils and things like that can help delay the onset of menopause oh, oh wow great and that actually yeah that actually can help reduce the risk of cancers because and also heart disease so if you're if the earlier menopause the hormones re estrogen reduces and that can increase your risk of so many diseases so if we can delay your menopause a little bit naturally by the foods you've eaten then that'll help you to reduce the risk um, of these you know of, of essentially diseases of aging I didn't realise that about the menopause. So the earlier you go through the menopause, the more likely you are. To yeah, to have breast cancer, heart disease, also it's, it's to do with that? your fat. Is that because of the drop in protective hormones? Or? Protective hormones, but also then the, the protective hormones affect so many of your different, like your cardiovascular health yeah. and the way you actually distribute fat to your body and things like that. There's so many different mechanisms, and we're still looking into some of those. Apologies for the noise. Just a reminder, we are at BFIT, the health and fitness event in London. They're letting us use room down here because Toll's been speaking, so it's a little bit noisy because we've got lots of fitness lovers coming in and out of the room right now. Um, let's go on to some questions. Dave has asked, what herbs and spices are beneficial to the diet? Not only cancer fighting, but that have general health benefits. Oh, all herbs and spices are really beneficial. They have loads of active ingredients. So. If we look at fresh herbs, things like parsley and coriander and mint and basil, all of them, A, if you have 80 grams of any of those, they will count. I mean, not one of those, really? but together. Really make a difference? Yes, doing a little, yes. Little so little if you add 10 grams to this meal, 10 grams to like your eggs, 10 grams to your pasta, if it all adds up, that's a portion of your fruit and vegetables a day. It has loads and loads of antioxidants and lots of other beneficial um, nutrients that we might need. And um, spices too, so I think people always think of turmeric as being one of those ones. It's a very anti-inflammatory. Very anti-inflammatory. But Is it really though? It, it is, but only... Only the active ingredients all curcumin, and turmeric only has three to five percent of that. So you'd have to have an awful lot of turmeric for that to happen. But you know, even things like chili flakes can help. You know, increase your metabolism. There's lots of different things it can do. Um, mustard seeds, cumin seeds, all of these things. They have so many different nutrients. So definitely throw them in with all your food. And it's actually much easier for you to eat tasty food without sugar. Uh, with less salt when you're adding all, all these herbs and spices because that's really important for having a healthy diet overall. So yeah, add them in. Go for it. Throw them in, Dave. Uh, Eve wants to know, is it true that dark chocolate can help prevent cancer? Um, <laughs> that's an interesting one. Dark chocolate causes something called flavonoids, which are really 
great powerful antioxidant but I wouldn't say it can prevent cancer as part of a healthy balanced diet I think if you're going to have chocolate you want a couple of squares of really good quality dark chocolate to maximize those antioxidants but I can't say categorically that eating two squares will prevent cancer I think as part of a balanced cancer preventative diet yeah absolutely so let's talk about the gut microbiome because I'm a big microbiome geek I start yeah. every day with kefir and I eat loads of fermented foods and I just want to talk to you about how big a deal the gut is becoming now because we, we're finding out more and more about how helpful it is in our immune system absolutely actually 90% of our immune system is actually based on our gut wow. 90% I know and it's an area that's been neglected for the last 30 or 40 years, sadly. We've been so busy disinfecting everything and trying to kill everything and preserve everything with sugars and salts and all kinds of chemicals that we've actually forgotten that the bacteria. Bear in mind that our DNA, a vast proportion of our DNA is actually that of the microbiome, so different bacteria, viruses, fungi, all the different kinds of things in our body. And so do we, are we really harming our microbiome every time we use anti-bac Absolutely, yeah. And I think washing your hands is brilliant, but don't. This is why we're getting so many um, infections and bacteria which are resistant to antibiotics. Yeah, and I think that's really important. So, so going back to our gut health, we have all sorts of bacteria. Some are beneficial, some aren't. And eating loads and loads of fruit and vegetables, uh, which is actually the fibre particularly, is the favourite food of many of these beneficial bacteria. And those beneficial bacteria metabolise fibre and all other sorts of things that we can't as humans do. So that's why we need them. We live in symbiosis with them. They produce like vitamin K, they produce signaling molecules, they produce some of our immune system molecules, they produce... Um, short-chain fatty acids which are from the fibre which our body needs for so many things including uh, helping um, to prevent our blood vessels from thinning, um, their cancer prevention, all sorts of things. If you have a really unhealthy gut, is that going to show up in illness? Potentially, yeah. I mean, first you might have stomach pain and you know, you might not go to the toilet properly and things like that, but it can do particularly because um, we're more likely to have allergic reactions, we're more likely to um, have our immune system not working properly and have lots of, you know, just like colds, flus, things like that, yeah. viruses and things like that. It's such a key part. And also, if we're not feeding the gut the right food that it needs for those beneficial bacteria to grow, like, for example, let's just take people, if we just fed them sugar donuts every day, mm -hmm. they wouldn't be very happy and healthy and they wouldn't work very well. Because if we fed them all sorts of different foods, like chicken and broccoli and sometimes cake and sometimes cheese and sometimes, you know, apples then they'll be much happier because so they've got a, a wider, wider diversity of different yeah, bugs in their tummy exactly okay. and i think the problem is that if you look at some westernized diets we've really reduced the diversity of the beneficial bacteria in our body um, we you know theoretically we have over 10,000 different you know different organisms but so many people have reduced that by eating some of the same foods cutting out food groups um, this is a problem for people who, yeah, I understand veganism is great, it's growing, but you need to replace some of those live bacteria which you might get in yogurt and stuff. What do you think stuff, about some claims that the vegan diet can help people get over cancer? I mean, where do you stand on that? It sounds to me like you're more of a kind of diversity is key. I think veganism is a particular ethic and moral discussion. If you want to be vegan for your own reason, is it better health-wise? Actually, it hasn't been proven not to be dairy do we need it maybe we do maybe we don't but oily fish interestingly is one of those things that's just been proven to be beneficial to prevent all sorts of diseases the vegan diet cannot cure cancer 
the vegan diet is great because hopefully people who are vegan are eating a lot more fruit and vegetables and that's basically the key thing but I've noticed that a lot of people are vegan who are just eating like unhealthy vegan processed foods and lots of bread and stuff like that so actually anyone who eats more fruit and vegetables I don't care what you call yourself great if it actually can help prevent all diseases not just cancer uh, another question here on the gut Steve wants to know if sweeteners can damage the microbiome. I don't know whether that's your area. No, you know yeah, a little bit. Um, so actually, that's one of the things that they're doing quite a lot of research at the moment. Um, my understanding is that some sweeteners can. Um, it also affects how your hormone levels work and things like that. So it's it's not necessarily the microbiome on its own, but it's also how the microbiome works and how bacteria work. Um, there's a lot more research that needs to be done about that. So it's ongoing level, but. Personally, I would advise people to get away from artificial sweeteners just because the way your body deals with insulin, the way your body deals with different hormone things, it's really disruptive and we don't know all the mechanisms at the moment yet. Richard would like to know, uh, this is a question regarding common colds and viruses, what do you do or eat if you feel you're getting a cold coming on? Okay, great, great question. So. Um, I'm a great believer that it might be too late by the time you feel it coming on, but get some sleep. Um, getting lots of fluids into you, like hydration, 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 help flush viruses through your system. There's no foods that will really make too much of a difference, but things like, if they make it to help you feel better, like lemon and honey, turmeric, boil it up, just drink it. Um, if you have a sore throat, gargle with soluble aspirin, that'll help to reduce really? inflammation. Yeah, reduce inflammation. But I, I think foods that make you feel, with lots of antioxidants, so, Things like when they talk about chicken soup, which has got loads and loads of like nutrients and garlic and things like that, is going to help you to feel better. Is it proven scientifically? No, but if you think about what it's made of, yes, it's got like loads of protein, it's got loads of like garlic, it's got loads of vegetables, it's got lots of like stock. Yeah, it's probably really. Do you ever take a vitamin C supplement? It doesn't really work. Really? No, you're better off eating a kiwi. Do you know a kiwi has 750 milligrams of vitamin C, more than orange? That's very interesting. Yeah. Um, so let's move on. I've got another question here from Rosie. Uh, now she wants to know what do you think about the very high fat, low carb ketogenic diet for cancer? Um, we should outline what the ketogenic diet is. Yeah. It is, like Rosie said, very high uh, fat, low carb, but it's high healthful fats. And I think there's been some research about it slowing tumor growth in mice, but nothing in humans yet. Nothing in humans. So, first of all, the ketogenic is often high protein as well high protein, high fat, and low carb. Um, I think. If you're very overweight or obese, being very overweight or obese um, impacts your hormones and very much increases your risk of having all types of cancer. So reducing your weight is definitely going to help reduce your risk of cancer. So for some people, doing these diets means that they can eat foods they really like and lose weight fast. Is it beneficial long term? If you look at all the long-term epidemiologic studies, and obviously there are very few people in the world, apart from Eskimos, I think, really, that have eaten a kind of more ketogenic diet naturally, um, we don't know, actually, whether that will really help because we're going to look at the gut, and a lot of the foods that are really helpful for the gut are fruits and vegetables and the whole grains and things like that. So that's something we need to look at. I think for a short-term person, yeah, great for fat loss. A long-term, we haven't got enough studies. Um, my only fear would be that a lot of people who do have a ketogenic diet don't really understand it and end up eating a lot of just bacon and eggs and actually there's so many more things you can eat there's so many different types of live um, other nutrients and 
like game meats and so many green vegetables and so many low carb vegetables you can eat. And I think that's where we need to have maybe have a little bit more education around that. Yeah, so it's not necessarily that. It, do, it can't work, it's just we don't have the studies yet. No, we don't have a long time, yeah. and it's not something that I think any um, scientists will necessarily, if people choose to do that diet, they can follow them. I don't think putting people on that kind of diet for like 10, 20 yeah. years, it wouldn't be ethical because a lot of the yeah. things are uh, like red meat and bacon stuff are can be if you eat more than 50 grams like you know it's slightly carcinogenic so wh yeah, what's the ethics question you see so i so don't know I, I actually followed the keto diet for four years um and i, I didn't lose any weight but i did it, it is tricky to get into it and maintain it so i was testing blood and urine most days to check what I were you testing uh ketones with okay. a blood, blood meter and my urine as well to check that I was in the right amount, but for the first couple of years, I reckon I overate protein because that's so easily done. It's so easy to do, yeah. Out, and then that just converts to sugar anyway. But I, I had heard people say that they thought that they were using it effectively for cancer, but like you say, it's still only been tested. But why would you want to test keto? Why did you do it? Oh well, I've done a whole blog about this. You can see it on Health Hackers. Yeah. UK. Um, it was actually because I've always had uh, blood sugar issues since I was okay. a teenager. <laughs> And, um, and then once I started being a television presenter, I had to go for long hours, and sometimes I didn't get the chance to eat. But if I had low blood sugar, I would really feel it and really crash. It's quite tricky to do a piece of camera and think clearly. And then I heard about ketosis and um, just cutting out sugars and, and it being better for longer. Sorry about the noise, we are at BeFit in London. Um, and how, how it could prolong my energy for a little bit longer. There were various reasons you see it on the blog. But I did it for four years and then decided to just um, come out of it. I, I don't feel too different out of it now. But um, So maybe that just helps to stabilise your hormone levels. And, and I think it is difficult when you work in a job where you can't eat. Like if you look at doctors, for example. Like sometimes they're just on their feet on the ward for, you know, quite long stretches without having the opportunity to sit down and eat, you know, eat. I'm sure that if the firefighters or police sometimes, you know, they're on a job and, you know, people like you. So I think there is something about actually not using the sugar to pick yourself up and actually treating it. Yeah. Because obviously protein is much more slowly digested and fat is too. So you stay fuller for longer and have less of a sugar because there's less of an insulin response. There is um, more on this in the blog where I actually point out that it may have damaged my gut diversity. Well, that's the thing. Prove it, but I do, I did, I did develop a skin rash actually that going on some highly fermented foods and kefir for six months afterwards got rid of it, and I felt like that was damaged gut. Could it have been ketosis? Well, I guess this I is because you're not also not feeding the beneficial bacteria as we talked about earlier in the session, and I think that. We have, have a lot of green veg, but you're right. I couldn't, I couldn't eat a tomato veg, or an yeah. onion because it was too high in carbs and it would keep me out of... But that's what your body needs, though. It needed yeah. that variety of nutrients. Mm -hmm. Remember that all the different bacteria, they're different favourite foods, just like we all have our different favourite yeah. foods. And I think that's something to And I look love at. my fruit and veg. My, I mean, my veg plates now are enormous that I couldn't eat. So how many day. portions of fruit and veg do you probably have? Did you think you had on the ketogenic diet? Uh, just at, Well, lunch would be some romaine lettuce. Yeah, see that's not enough. But nutrients. then dinner would be about three quarters of a plate of green, but it would have to be green veg. See, but that's, and you're not getting all the colours of the rainbow and all the no, phytonutrients and all the oranges and the reds and the yellows no. and the purples, and, and that's where you're missing. And actually it's surprised that you only had a skin rash and nothing more, to be honest, for four years. I would recommend it for a short yeah. term. I did, I, did, I did have a doctor who was working with, she, I mean yeah. her husband was ketogenic, so she was very 
very good and advising me. But in the end, uh, you know, she was advising to reintroduce cars at least every three days for female hormone benefits. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but anyway, yeah, I decided to quit that in September. Good. And it's been great since then. I've been eating loads of eggs. Sorry to take this on to me. No, this I whole, think it's uh, really interesting. I think this conversation. It's, it's great. Uh, let's get back to some other questions. Um, Viewer question: Which is better, olive oil or coconut oil? Because you know we hear about sometimes you can't, you shouldn't cook in olive oil because it damages the oil and that can be carcinogenic. Is this That's true? not true. <gasps> oh. The smoking point of olive oil is very much is hardly. I think it's at ten degrees lower than coconut oil. Why would you want to put coconut oil in Italian gorgeous food? Also, coconut or maybe oil. Maybe cooking in coconut oil. Yeah, coconut oil. I'm not a fan of it. It's really? solid at room temperature. So where do you think in your body it's it's more likely to be solid in your body. There are things like the medium. With, with yeah. oils that are solid at room temperature is better because they've got a higher smoke. Yeah, there's no science. There's no science. There's no science? There's I'm sure Sorry, there was some science. There's no that. science. There's no science. Um, I think it's personal preference. I think that the reason people have coconut oil is because of the medium chain fatty acids. Again, are the medium chain actually that useful or a short chain better? Are they better? good for our brain though, for cognitive thinking? There's no studies the whatsoever. <laughs> Really? Long-term epidemiological studies, no. So short-term, yeah, short-chain fatty acids, amazing, all from fruit and vegetables. Okay, uh, I'm guessing that the the, the the overriding key point that you can take away from this fruit and vegetables. Is fruit eat and the veg. rainbow, eat a wide, wide, wide variety um, of fruit and vegetables. Here's what I want to know: um, a lot of my old ketogenic pals used to do intermittent fasting. I can do it because I just felt so hungry after like 12 hours. Um, so they would kind of and a lot of people do there's this trend now fasting for like 16 hours and then eating what do you think about that for longevity uh, yeah no there is, there's some really interesting studies actually that about attributing that to living longer um, and I think again we need more research but I think it's also a personal preference as well and how your mood is um, my cousin actually was staying with me last night and he is doing intermittent fasting and I think for some people it works um, I think you need to think about why you're doing it. Are you doing it for the long-term health benefit? Are you doing it for fat loss, weight loss? What's the reasoning behind it? But there is certainly some evidence. In the past, there's been a lot of animal evidence, but now there's definitely some human studies as well. Um, if you look at the Japanese people in Okinawa, which are in the blue zone, which have one of the uh, big proportion of people in their over 100 years old, centenarians, they don't necessarily do intermittent fasting, but they, what they do, do is eat until they're 80% full. So does intermittent fasting mean because you're condensing all your meals that you are only eating so much because you can only fit, fit that much food in, in that time frame? So then you eat less. I think it's a really interesting conversation. But you wouldn't say someone has to do it? No. Because I don't want to do it. I just get hungry. But I think if you're miserable, I think it's again personal. Like someone like me probably could do it because I just, in the morning, I'm just not hungry until about 11 or 12. So I theoretically could do it. And actually, I probably do it inadvertently by mistake sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I'm a night owl as well, so that also helps. But I think for some people, like having that regular for your blood sugar levels, for your mood, yeah. all of that stuff's really important. And I think slow release energy it depends what you've eaten as well. So final few questions now. Sure. Uh, where do you stand on red meat? Is um, it cancer causing to eat too much red meat? So all the world cancer research um, studies, which have been funded, have shown that if you're eat over 50 grams a week you're more likely to increase your risk it doesn't mean you can obviously having things which are barbecued and grilled are worse than just having so, some beef so that's that kind of burn yeah burn, the carcinogenic yeah okay. but again if you're having once a week like it's a beautiful beautiful sunny day today you're gonna have a barbecue just enjoy it 
don't cut everything out. I think one thing I would say about red meat is there are lots of nutrients that we don't get from anywhere else, particularly you know iron and things like that. So if you cut out all red meat, look at how you're going to have iron and other things in your system because you can get from dark leafy greens and stuff, but it's not as bioavailable. And you want to have some vitamin C with it to make it more bioavailable. It's just not the same form of iron as you would get from red meat. But I would then maybe look at more heart-friendly red meat. So oh. ostrich and venison are much more heart-friendly. In fact, the British um, and deer, yeah, all sorts of, sort of springbok and stuff. So the American Heart Association actually does recommend ostrich and So yeah, when I venison. eat red meat, I always buy grass-fed. Yes. You, are you a supporter of the difference between grass yeah, and Yeah, there is a difference. I mean, as long as you know, it's good grass, um, because a lot of commercial farming feeds um, cows and other animals lots of corn and other kind of leftovers from farming and soy isolates and all sorts of stuff and that means the composition of the protein is slightly different and they're more fatty the animals um, it's a different type of fat as well so, so I, I agree uh, I'm sorry to use myself again but I probably eat red meat three times a week is that bad it depends what you're looking to do if I have if, if I'm preventing cancer I'd probably cut it down to two times a week. Okay. Um, and, and I think that heart disease as well, not just cancer, um, there is a reduction, there is an association with eating more red meat and increasing risk of heart disease too, and particularly women. Because essentially with all of these diseases, are they all caused by cell damage? And that's what we're preventing with a healthy diet. Basically, yeah. And, and also organ damage too. So with cardiovascular disease, it's about we don't want our blood vessels to thin. And so that's why what we eat makes a huge difference and we're not having too much saturated fat which clogs up our artery. Toro, you've been amazing. That's already been half an hour. Oh, wow. Now, <laughs> Facebookers, I'm sorry that we didn't get time to answer all of your questions. Um, just before you go, tell us where people can find you and what's next for you? You've got a book yes. coming up next year, haven't you? So, um, working on a book to explain the evidence behind the foods that prevent cancer and sharing lots of my loved recipes on that. Um, you can find me on my website, theurbankitchen.co.uk. There's a new recipe every week normally and some sort of science information. So sign up for the newsletter. And I'm on Instagram at The Urban Kitchen and Twitter at Urban Kitchen. So hopefully you come and see me there. If you've got any more questions that we didn't get to answer, please feel free to pop those on there and Facebook as well. Thank you for all your contributions. If you like this episode, don't forget to hit the like button on this page. Then you can get notified when we go live again. Have a great day. Bye-bye.